gracious. Yep. How about that? With the second pick in the 2011 NFL Draft, the Denver Broncos select Von Miller, linebacker, Texas A&M. He's the greatest ever, huh? And then I just wanted when you got all the advantages. Welcome to the Aggie War Pod, a product of the Republic of Football Podcast Network and Dave Campbell's Texas Football. I am your co-host, Mike Craven, senior writer at DCTF. The other voice you'll hear on this podcast is a barbecue-eating machine who won't shy away from a road trip or an off-key rendition of Creed. The former fighting Texas Aggie defensive lineman arrived in College Station as a three-star prospect back in 2013. He now resides in Houston, but his heart never left. Ladies, gentlemen, Reveille, represent the one. The only Jay Arnold. Man, and it feels like this season has flown by, huh, Mike? I mean, I feel like uh, we were just starting it uh, last week, and all of a sudden I look up and it's week 11. So kind of crazy how much, uh, how, how quickly the season goes by. Probably used this analogy before, but football season to me always feels like an amusement park where you wait in line for three hours for a 10-minute you know, thrill, and that's kind of... Uh, what what football season feels like you talk about it all off season from January through September it gets here you blink and all of a sudden it's almost Thanksgiving and it's done so uh, for Texas A&M that may be good Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that uh, here in a little bit uh, with the Ole Miss loss as always we you know kind of break this down into four downs four different big topics and first down we'll talk about that three-point loss to Ole Miss and second down, we'll go big picture and where does Texas A&M go from there? Plenty of Jimbo Fisher talk. And third down, we'll preview the upcoming game against Mississippi State that's coming up Saturday back at Kyle Field. And then in fourth down, we'll get off topic a little bit, have some fun, take some questions, and get into the hashtag AskJ segment of the show. And remember, you can ask questions throughout the week. Use that hashtag AskJ. We'll circle back uh, that following week and answer them. Before we get started, please rate, s- subscribe, review, give us a five-star, tell a friend, all the stuff uh, that you do to help spread a podcast that helps more than you know. And uh, we'd like to thank Homefield Apparel for being a sponsor of not only this show, uh, but the whole Republic of Football Network. We have a podcast dedicated to all 13 teams that are at the FBS level. We also have a non-FBS podcast that talks about the other 35 who don't play FBS football. So we have the whole state wrapped up at home field apparel. You can use the promo code whoop W H O O P to get 15% off your first order. I recommend doing it. If you haven't yet, just because of the bomber jackets, it's going to start getting cold. I hear that's a true thing that happens uh, in the winter, a thing called winter. We'll figure out together uh, if that becomes true, but those bomber jackets are sweet. Uh, if you have plenty of AM gear, there is all sorts of stuff out there to go look for Jay, that was my spiel. Let's get going on this podcast. Uh, Texas A&M falls to five and four on the season, three and three in SEC play. Aggies are third in the SEC West behind Alabama, Ole Miss, and Tennessee. What were your kind of overall thoughts, your initial thoughts, your first quick takeaways from that game before we kind of break it down a little bit further? Uh, I mean, just missed opportunities, I think was the first thing. Uh, Really feels like, this team just can't put together a complete game. Right. Uh, Cause it, it feels like the offense finally showed up and all of a sudden the defense has another bad performance. Uh, the likes of which we really hadn't seen since the Miami game. So uh, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's disappointing. Obviously I think that's the, uh, the key word there is just uh disappointment. To me, the thing that jumps off the page first is, we talked all last week, not just our show, but everyone on social media, I'm sure all the beat writers on, on AM about this nine game, or I guess at that moment it was an eight game road losing streak um, where they haven't beaten anybody on the road since 2021. And they come out and all of a sudden Ole Miss is already up 14, nothing before the game really gets going. Right. And they're, they're driving uh, to go score again and make it 17, nothing with that field goal, before, you know, that we're going to talk about again. To me, that screams a, a lack of urgency or a lack of preparedness that that you know you're up against it. You know this is essentially a must-win game to, to keep some of those goals alive. And I'd imagine to keep this locker room engaged and excited for the rest of the season. And you're down 14-nothing, you know, midway through the second quarter. It was going to be 17 to nothing if not for the blocked field goal by Shamar Turner that was returned 75 yards by Jacoby Matthews. And what's crazy is Ole Miss gets the ball right back. 
and goes and scores a touchdown. If AM doesn't block that field goal, this thing is 24 to nothing. Uh, yeah. you know, with three or four minutes left in the in the first half. How does that happen? Yeah, I mean, you, you said it, the lack of preparedness, right? It, it just feels like AM came in there with a game plan that that wasn't tailored to uh Ole Miss. Uh and honestly, what I think it is is you know, against Tennessee, AM gave up a lot of yards rushing. Uh I think there's some similarities between Tennessee and Ole Miss. Against Tennessee, they were more worried about the pass. Feels like in this game, AM was really trying to stop the run. Uh, which I mean, mixed results there too. But uh I think that's why they were giving up so many passing yards. Uh a lot of times, I mean, the Ole Miss just kind of centered in on uh the the problem position at corner that that AM has had struggles with all year. Uh, and I think that's why they were able to, you know, really kind of drive down the field at will. I mean, Trey Harris had an incredible game, uh, 213 yards receiving, uh, averaging 19.4 yards per reception. Uh, if you're giving up that many yards, uh, you, you're going to struggle to, to get teams off the field. And, uh, the AM defense just couldn't get Ole Miss off the field. And, you know, uh, we said going into this one that 30 was the magic number if AM scored 30 points so that we feel, felt pretty good about them winning this game. But, uh, you know, obviously when you're when you're giving up uh, that many passing yards, things change a little bit. So uh, it felt like we kind of had some of the secondary issues resolved, and uh, that appears to not be the case. Uh, so, I mean, you look at it, and, and the way that Ole Miss was able to just get after – the AM defense from the jump is uh a little bit concerning. Uh probably a, more than a little bit concerning. I could be accused of paying too much attention to scripts in that first quarter, quarter and a half of a football game. Uh, but one coach, one one coaching staff outcoached the other coaching staff um throughout the week. I've always been taught uh the first quarter and the third quarter is about coaching, and the second and the fourth quarter is about players because you kind of you get adjustments. You have all week to prepare for the first quarter. You got halftime to get into the third quarter. By the second and fourth quarter, it comes down to who you got. And eventually just the players got to go make plays. AM got their butt kicked in the first quarter. Absolutely yeah. butt kicked in the first quarter. They were saved by that special teams play. Or this one isn't even close going into halftime to give the Aggies a chance. And before we keep kind of, you know, dogging on AM, and they didn't play well, right? I mean, they they've they've lost, you know, most of their big games so far this year. I thought it was it would have been easy to go away. You know, you're, you're down, you know, multiple touchdowns. It's 28 to 14 early in the third quarter. It'd been very easy for Texas A&M second half, uh, you know, problems to continue like they have over these last couple of weeks. Instead, you know, A&M scores 21 of 24 at one point in the second half, takes a lead uh, on that Max Johnson touchdown. Um, just, you know, with 434 left uh, in the fourth quarter, how impressed were you? How surprised were you uh, to kind of look up and see A&M uh, still showing fight? Because to, to be honest with you, I thought once it was 28-14 and Ole Miss had scored uh, in the second half to make it a two-possession game again, I thought it was going to end up being 42-21 or something like that. Yeah, very surprised. And I think it's because we haven't seen second-half adjustments out of this team all year. Uh, it's been a team that has really struggled in the second half and, and hasn't shown us that they can come back from a deficit. Uh, maybe, you know, the key to that was actually getting behind early and, and letting a team build the lead. Uh, but, it, but it seems like this team has just been so, so bad coming out of the half. And, you know, obviously Ole Miss goes down and scores in the third quarter right away, which still kind of hands at those failures to adjust. Uh, but I mean, A&M does battle and then there was, there's some toughness shown. And, uh, I mean, they really had a shot at winning this game there at the end, but, uh, I mean, you, you put yourself in a in a fourteen nothing hole to start this game, and it, it's tough. Uh, I mean, it's just this game didn't really go the way I thought it would, uh, as far as how it kind of shook out. Uh, you know, I, I thought the I, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I thought the the defense was going to play much better, uh, and. It was really the offense that, that kept a in it. And, you know, then the defense has a chance to win the game late in the game. Uh, and, I mean, Jackson Dart just kind of carved up the AM secondary uh, on en route to a, a late game touchdown. Uh, A&M gets the ball back, and there's some 
stuff with you know clock management right like you try to run the ball there at the end and i I get what you're doing trying to you know play for the field goal but given the the struggles that you've had with you know kicks in crucial spots i don't i don't know why you get away from airing the ball out especially when uh you've kind of had more success throwing the ball uh, than you have had recently Uh, it seems like the pass protection was better than it's been in a while uh I mean, I do want to give a shout out to Jay Walker as well, who I thought yeah. had a fantastic yeah. game. Uh, he made some really key catches that that helped A and M hang around in this one. Uh, he had ten catches coming into that game. He had eight during it. Yeah, I mean, just a great performance, and, that, and that's without Evan Stewart, right? Like mm-hmm. Evan Stewart's obviously missing. Uh, so, I just, man, if you had told me that that A and M was going to have thirty five points. With, with with no Evan Stewart, I would have not believed it. Uh, but I also would have said, okay, well, AM's probably going to win the game. And yep. again, it, it's, it, it just shows how disjointed and dysfunctional kind of this AM team has been. And it, you know, and it, it's also like this is the number 10 team in the country on the road. So it's not supposed to be an easy game, but, but at some point you have to step up and you have to win. Uh, you know, I think maybe there's a little more leeway if, if A&M doesn't lose that game to Miami earlier in the season. Uh, but in the scheme of things now, nine road losses in a row, I, I just don't know how you can really uh, justify the performance, especially because it felt like the defense was the identity of this team, and all of a sudden the offense gets going, and now the defense can't figure it out. 0-3 in one possession games this year. Uh, and to your point, None of these losses are are bad. You know, like they, they haven't lost to a you know a bottom feeder team. You know, I mean Miami's a, a pretty good team. Uh, all three of the SEC teams that they've lost to are are, are ranked teams that are gonna go bowling that are pretty good teams, right? Alabama, Alabama may end up in the college football playoff or something like that if if they went out and beat Georgia. And so, but at AM, those are the teams you're paid to go beat. You know, yeah. that, that that's that's the weight class you're in now. You know, just beating the other schools isn't good enough. You're supposed to beat LSU. You're supposed to beat Alabama. I mean, not every year, but every now and then. And when you have the better team, and I was at that game, you were at that game, A&M felt like they had as good, if not a better team, than Alabama. And one is getting coached through their warts into an SEC championship game again. And the other one that has a, a lot of talent. I mean, as much talent, if not anybody in this country, is five and four and, and can't win one possession games, can't execute down the stretch. The defense has given up uh points as soon as you get the offense going. To your point, it just feels like a team that that can't put it all together. Um, they're losing losing the close ones, and this thing's a small margin deal at the top, right? And the SEC, it's gonna come down to a possession or two. AM doesn't do the little things well enough to win these football games. Yep. And uh, you know, the whole buzzword this year from Jimbo Fisher I think has been execution and then and that just hasn't been there uh and at some point I think you have to circle back to leadership and 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 look at you know what the issue there is uh right like if if it's the same thing over and over again uh you know at some point it's it's not just correlation there's some causation there and if it's execution one time, that's on a player. Maybe if it's execution week after week after week, that's on the people teaching you what you're executing. I mean, eventually, yep. even if it's not, I mean, you brought them in there, right? If they're not good enough to figure it out, I mean, at, at the the buck stops at the coaching staff, no matter what the what the issue is at, after this many weeks, after this many years in a row, right? So, let that, that's a good segue. Uh, into second down where we talk about where does Texas A&M go from here? Uh, three games left in the season. Uh, the Aggies back home against Mississippi State. We'll preview that one a little bit more here in third down. Uh, then they get the Abilene Christian SEC break at the end of the year bowl game there in week uh, week 12. And then they finish it off at LSU. Best possible finish if they win out is 8-4. and 7-5 and five feels more likely. Uh, A&M has lost three of the last four. Let's get into this real quick, honestly. Uh, Jimbo, well, let's, first here, first. What is your prediction for what this final season record is at the moment? I mean, I think you have to go seven and five, right? Uh, Mississippi State is just struggling so much, and we'll get into that in that preview. Uh, But, I mean, after, 
you know, obviously we'll we'll see what happens with uh with Daniels there at LSU and if he's healthy. Uh, but I mean, it just feels like there's like it just feels like you can't win a road game. So I mean, you look into this and and knowing that you know you're going to be zero and nine, looking at zero and ten on the road. Uh, it feels like seven and five is the absolute best case scenario. And I mean, we could look, be looking at, at problems with Mississippi state too. Like, like don't sleep on this game either. So I think seven and five is the absolute best case scenario. I think six and six is just as likely as eight and four. Yeah, that's a good point. I think if the over was set at seven and I wasn't allowed to push or stay away from the bet, somebody said you have to put thousand dollars on either the over or the under i think six and six is more likely uh than eight and four just because i mean how are you counting on a team that hasn't won a road game since 2021 against mizzou to go to lsu and death valley and beat that lsu team that lost to a&m the year before and isn't gonna like look past the aggies right like they're gonna have um some motivation there as well so to me seven and five does feel like the most likely Right now, Jimbo is 44 and 25 overall and 26 and 21 in SEC play. Take away 2020, and he's 35 and 24 overall with a sub 500 record against the SEC teams. Nine straight losses on the road, like we talked about. Another one Aggies are 5 and 10 in their last 15 against FBS opponents. Um, so just not, not doing great there. It's not, it's not great for the vibes. Uh, we, we have the Ask J segment and the in fourth down. Uh, but we got a few of these questions, and they felt an, on topic enough just to ask one of them uh, here in, in second down to kind of jump off this conversation uh, from JC on Twitter. Uh, should AM remove Fisher as head coach following the completion of the 2023 season? And if so, what would be the top five best choices to replace him at head coach? Let's start with the first part of that question. Jay Arnold's a big donor. Jay Arnold's got all this money in the world. Uh, what are you doing? uh with this decision if if that checkbook is yours uh i mean because remember when you're this rich money is money's an illusion none of this is real so so go ahead and do it with that with that knowledge yeah uh so it were jay arnold only a rich donor uh or even you know enough money to be a donor at all uh I mean, I, I still think that Jimbo Fisher, should he win out, keeps his job. Because I think if you went on the road at LSU, uh, of course, you're getting into kind of the same thing that happened last year where uh, one late season win all of a sudden mm-hmm. gets you a lot of goodwill. It kind of feels like the reverse situation that LSU found themselves in where they kept beating A&M. And so they held on to less miles for longer. Yeah. Uh, and then they did the same thing with, with Coach O. Uh, <laughs> LSU should throw the game to keep yeah, LSU around. has the opportunity to do the funniest thing possible but uh, no I I think if it, it hinges on that game if he loses 10, 10 road losses in a row uh, he's out and if he wins then it buys him enough goodwill to get another year especially with you know A&M in recruiting battles a lot with LSU I think that buys him some good recruiting will as well uh, with that being said, we talked about it. Uh, we're definitely leaning more towards AM losing that game. Uh, so in my opinion, Jimbo's out at the end of the year. Eight and four, in my opinion, was always going to get him at least one more year, you know. So if he wins out and goes eight and four, the same thing we said in July applies. He went eight and four, he he get nobody's excited about it, uh, but he'd get another year. Um, anything below that, it it gets fishy if it is a continuation of the road games and they just can't beat that level of team that they're trying to compete with. And then they're recruiting against to your point, you have to cut I know it's $76.8 million. I know that is absurd. One, you don't have to write the check tomorrow. You write 30% of that check and then you pay them off every single year. So A&M is going to just have to picture this next coaching search as we're paying this guy plus what we owe Jimbo. Right. If you hire the next guy for five million dollars a year, you're really hiring him at eleven million dollars a year because you're you're adding that kind of cost to it. But two, it only lo- and we did this a couple of weeks ago. It only quote unquote lowers uh, about nine million dollars after 2024. Does anybody in the room think Jimbo Fisher is going to be the head coach of Texas A&M in 2025? Because if not, this is not a seventy-six million dollar decision. 
This is a $9 million decision. And if you're the Aggies, you cannot hold your program hostage over $9 million. You can't. You just can't do it. You can't pretend to be Alabama and LSU and Georgia and Ohio State and Tech. You cannot pretend to be at that level of college football and hold your program hostage over $9 million, no matter what the oil prices are when December comes around. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and plus, uh, the SEC is only about to get harder. Uh, with, yeah, with so is recruiting Texas coming. Yep. yep, yep. Because for a while, A and M, a lot of A and M success has been. Uh, I shouldn't say a lot, but some of SC, some of their success has been. They're the Texas school in the SEC. That's well, that was why point, I went to A and M. Right. That selling point is huge. Um, and and that's gone now. And then also, this is a story idea that I'm working on for the off season. Probably somebody's probably going to beat me to it and write it better. But they've never been good at the same time. Yeah. Right, like Texas and Texas A and M rarely are good at the same time. As one gets better, the other one tends to tail off. Well, Texas isn't great, but they're good. You know, they're they're in Big 12 mix. They're in college football playoff mix. Like, they're not Georgia, but they're getting closer to uh, that level again than they were five years ago. A&M had a 12-year opportunity to really drive a flag into the ground as, as a premier program in the state as Texas struggled and they had the SEC advantage. And it just that hadn't happened that way. And, and it's okay. You're going to catch some hate on social media when people talk about the buyout, but you're going to catch hate on social media if you lose to Texas next year too. And so you might as well just get the jokes out of the way, put your notifications on mute, write the man his check, and let him ride off into you know whatever ranch he's got going. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's just, I mean, it's tough, right? Like, I know we've kind of talked about this. Uh it's hard to feel bad for somebody when they're going to get that much buyout money. But for some reason, I still always feel weird calling for somebody's job. Uh, I feel bad for the collateral damage that happens when a head coach gets fired. Not so much for the head coach, just because of how much money they're making, but there's staffers and students and, you know, um, assistants and stuff that are impacted in a way that, and aren't guaranteed $76 million. Yep. Uh, And, I mean, it's it's never a fun situation uh, when there's turnover in those tabs because it's it's a brutal business. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, it's just it feels pretty obvious that the relationship is just not beneficial anymore. Yep. Let's get to the second part of the question real quick, because, um, again, we don't know if Jimbo's going to get fired. Uh, but I mean, I think there's a 50 percent chance that A&M's in a coaching search uh, here in a couple of weeks. Uh, like you said, it probably hinges on that LSU game. Unless they lose on Saturday, uh, then it's then all bets are off. But who are some names that you would the the question here from JC asked for five, but kind of who are who are some names that you you know immediately think of would be a part of that search? Well, I mean, I think the first name that that comes to everybody's mind is probably Mike Elko. Yeah. Uh given he was at the university, uh, obviously very successful as a defensive uh coordinator under Jimbo Fisher, uh, more recent familiarity and, uh, you know, has done really well at Duke and, and, and turn that program around in a hurry. Uh, so I think Mike Elko is going to be one of the first names that you, you hear. Uh, I think another one here in state, uh, that is probably going to get some calls, uh, is Jeff trailer at UTSA. Uh, I think he's one that, you know, there's some Texas ties. Maybe A&M wants to get back to that, right? Uh, Jimbo Fisher wasn't a guy that had Texas ties coming in here. Uh, maybe it's something where, you know, we've talked about the Texas High School Coaches Association uh, and and some of the perhaps not great feelings there. Uh, it feels like hiring trailer would be an immediate impact. Uh, and then another coach that I've kind of looked at as, as a possible name uh, if you pair him with coordinators and, and you really like don't want to have too much turnover, I know this is going to be a hundred percent unlikely and, and a little bit, some people may not like it at all, but the, the one part of this, this defense that I feel like has taken a step forward this year, uh, and, and the recruiting has always been great is the defensive line. And you look at Elijah Robinson, he has the assistant head coach tag on there already, uh, I wouldn't hate just promoting him to head coach if you get the right coordinators in place. Uh, cause I think that also helps you keep the recruiting class together. Yeah. And it would be cheaper. 
you know, you wouldn't have to pay, you know, somebody as much, you know, it would make that because like we were talking about earlier, you're going to have to pretend like the new head coach's salary has a $6 million, you know, bag attached to it that's going yeah. to Jimbo. So that would make it for, I think that makes trailer uh, in line as well. You won't have to pay him the same as you would some of the other names on that list. And that makes it easier. And again, he's an East Texan. Uh, anybody who doubted his ability, like he would win the first press conference, like going away, it'd be like a 10, seven knockout round. Right. Like yeah. he would throw out a couple, cause I call him the East Texas Ted Lasso. And he'd throw out a couple of those like random sayings he picked up on a farm in Gilmer, Texas. And, and he'd have uh, the, the 12th man eating out of his hand. I, I'm with you. I think Mike Elko is kind of the number one first obvious pick. He's going to get a call. And Jeff, Jeff Trailer's obvious in it. I got I got a couple names for you. You tell me what you think of it. Yeah. Let's get the first one out of the way. I think this is the most controversial. Let's get the weirdest one out of the way. I think Sonny Dykes would be attractive at all to Texas AM. I know he got fired at Cal and you know was you know good at SMU. You know, I don't think people understand how how hard it was to win eight games, nine games. I mean, he won, he's the only coach that's won 10 games at SMU since the death penalty. Uh, and then took uh, a really talented team to the to the national championship game in year one at TCU. Uh, what are your thoughts? I know this year's kind of dampened that a little bit. What are your thoughts on, on maybe a Sonny Dykes name being thrown out there? Yeah, I mean, I, I personally don't hate it. Uh, I just, I don't know if Sonny would necessarily want to jump from TCU into what is a, a lion's den of attention. Uh, Sonny's got enough Mike Leach in him. That his eye is always wandering towards the pause. I think here's the thing that I think is true. I think Sonny Dykes got to the national championship game. Sonny Dykes saw Georgia. Sonny Dykes got to spend a whole week looking at what Georgia does, their operation, how much help they have, all the assistance, all the money, all the resources, and went, oh, I can't do that here. This is as close as I can get to it here. Like the, like everything, had we had to win seven of eight one-score games, there had to be not a lot of conference championship sh- champions that were undefeated. We had to get Michigan on kind of a flu- like a crazy game. Like this is we topped out here. A yeah. and M, there are no, there's no ceiling, right? So I think I do think Sonny would if Sonny got a call. I think he'd listen. He would absolutely listen. Yeah. Um, another name, Dan Lanning, at Oregon. Yeah. I mean, uh, he was in the SEC. He was a defensive coordinator at Georgia when that thing started started rolling. I know Oregon's got plenty of money and they're in the Big Ten. I just wonder if being in Texas and the SEC ties and stuff would bring him back. Well, and you have uh, I'm trying to think of the recruiting guy uh, that's that's on Oregon staff now that was with AM for a little bit. Mount Mount uh, Malcho, something I like can't. that. I don't, I don't know, but. Uh, you yeah, have I your mean, OC too. They'd have your OC too because Will Stein's a Texan as well. He would come. Yeah. He would follow home. So that would be that would be good. Yeah, uh, I mean Dan Lanning would be great. I just I think Oregon has is kind of tired of replacing coaches, <laughs> and I think they may. Uh, I think it would be more of a scenario where Oregon would be stepping up to the plate to make sure Lanning gets uh, get gets his uh, paycheck there after losing uh, Chris Ball and. and uh, taggered and, and back-to-back coaching cycles. I don't think it would be a money thing. It would be like Lanning taking a lateral money job for being in Texas, that recruiting base in the SEC. We'll, yeah. we'll see. We'll see how attractive that would be. The other name I wrote down, this one's probably impossible, but I, if I'm at, if I'm and I'm kicking the tires, I'm calling Kyle Whittingham. Yeah. Uh, and then here's the flip side of that too, is the last four coaches at A&M, uh, from Jimbo, Sumlin, uh, Sherman, and Francione have all been offensive guys. Uh, there's a little bit of, <laughs> and obviously, like the average message board doesn't matter, but there's still talk about, well, maybe it's time to get a defensive guy in. Uh, Whittingham, obviously, uh, you know, with that physical style of football, I think it meshes well with what AM has, uh, personnel wise, too. Uh, I think it could be a good fit there, but I, I don't see Whittingham leaving Utah. Uh, if I was him, I probably wouldn't leave Utah. I mean, it feels like he's kind of uh, got his spot there. And, uh, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of what he does, and I would love for him to end up at AM, but uh, I, I just don't see that happening. 
I think he's the third best coach in college football uh, behind Kirby Smart and uh, Nick Saban. And so I would definitely give him a call and see if there was a number out there I could entice him to because you get that. Because I, I think Elko, Lanning, Whittingham, I, I'm with you. I believe in the girlfriend rule of head coaching searches where you date the opposite of what you just dated after you yeah. after you have a breakup, right? Um, they're going to go the opposite of Jimbo. I think they go a little bit younger, a little bit more personable. I think they care about personality more. This one, I bet you the next one's charismatic. I bet, I bet you the next one people like. Yeah. Um, and so they're going to go opposite on that one. Speaking of, I'm going to give you my last name. Here's here. Uh -oh. Here is, here is who I would love. I think, to I, think I know where you're going with, with this one. We saw him on Saturday. Uh, give me Lane Kiffin. Like, yeah. what are your thoughts on, on the lane train coming to college station and being the guy that replaces, uh, <laughs> Uh, Jimbo Fisher, which I think he would enjoy. And also he would have the resources that he could finally compete uh, with, you know, Darth Vader there at, at Alabama. I think that would be special to him as well. Yeah, I, honestly, I don't think Lane wants to come to a and I think he feels like uh, he can get away with some stuff at Ole Miss personality wise that maybe he can't at, at, at A&M. Uh, I would love it because I think it's it's the, you know, like I've talked about playing the heel in, in college football and how Adam is kind of doing it, but it's also just because like genuinely unlikable. Whereas <laughs> if you did it with Lane Kiffin, it's more of like a charismatic heel, right? It's a uh, character, not a reality. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I wouldn't hate Lane Kiffin there. Uh, I, I <laughs> and maybe it's the fact that uh, we preface this by saying, you know, if I was a donor, uh, and we were trying to save, maybe we're trying to save money. I still think the Erod route would be a good one, uh, especially if you get like, let's say, you know, there's an offensive coordinator in the Rocky Mountains right now who just got demoted, uh, who I think is still a very good offensive coordinator. Uh, you, you get Erod, you pair him up with Sean Lewis uh, at offensive coordinator, and uh, I think things could get pretty exciting at AM. and uh, I'd love to see what Connor Wegman did in the Sean Lewis offense, but. Uh, Again, it'd be easier. It'd be easier to hire OCs uh, when you had a coach that people wanted to coach with, because like they tried to get like you know uh, Garrett Riley, they tried to get Will Stein, they tried to get Zach uh, Kitley, um, you know, and they had to go get Bobby Petrino because he was the only one that would deal <laughs> deal with Jimbo. And so you know, I think you get a new head coach in there, and then all of a sudden everything opens up in terms of scheme on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. Yep. Yep. And. uh I mean, obviously, this is all hypothetical, so we have no idea what's going to go on beyond the scenes. Uh, my biggest worry is that, like, I think A&M in particular is susceptible to going for the biggest splash they can make possible. That's why I'm not sure trailer would be a real deal option. I think he would get a call. He would get an interview. He'd be a finalist, all that stuff. I'm just not sure. Texas is the same way. I'm just yeah. not sure, you know, like Texas was going to hire Sonny Dykes and then the donors were like, we're not hiring the SMU coach that got fired at Cal. You know what I mean? Like he had not gone to the national championship game yet. Um, so perception matters. And I do think that they love to make a splash. And so that would get, that would get very fascinating. It would be, it'd be an interesting, uh, you know, and they'd have a pick of the litter, right? Like they're, they're at the top of the block there. Um, and so, you know, it wouldn't be one of those, they have to like get into this thing early to beat everybody else in there. Uh, they'll have plenty of options because with the resources and everything at Texas A&M, um, you, you can almost go pick anybody. You know, there's yeah. probably 10 coaches in college football you can't go get. Uh, the other reason I would root for Lane Kiffin versus at A&M is the Lane Kiffin, uh, Steve Sarkeesian connection. If they were coaching against each other, uh, you know, they came up together with Pete Carroll. They were young assistant coaches in Southern Cal at USC when that thing was rolling. If you could truth serum those two and get them to talk about their time as assistant coaches together in Southern Cal, we'd all be rich because of the book that we could write. Oh yeah. Um, and so I would love, I I'm a journalist. I like press conferences. I go to them often. Uh, if I could have Lane Kiffin as like one of the places I could go do a press conference, that would be ideal. So I obviously have a little bit of bias there. I know he hasn't won a ton either. You know, it's not like Lane, it's not like Lane's ever won a national championship or anything like that, but I don't know if he's ever been at a place other than maybe Tennessee, and that thing was weird. And he was a different guy back then. I think he's matured yeah. a lot. He's figured out more as a head coach. I would be interested to see what he could do with all those resources. So those are some names that that we think uh, would be in play if if that job was to open up, and we think the job would open up unless A&M wins out and finishes 8-4. and four. Jay, let's get into third down. 
Uh, there is football still to be played. There are three games left in the season. The first one happens on Saturday in Kyle Field at 6.30 p.m. on ESPN2. The Aggies are a 19-and-a-half-point favorite. The last I looked, what are your overall thoughts on this Mississippi State team? A, a, a struggling bunch right now, year one after Mike Leach. They, they've kind of undergone a, a full reconstruction. They're not the same-looking Mississippi State team, as you saw previously, kind of what are your thoughts when you first look at them? Yeah, it's it's a completely different team. And it, I mean, obviously, that's an un- unenviable task to step in and, and take over for Mike Leach. Uh, you know, it, it was never going to be an easy task. And then, I mean, obviously, you're completely overhauling what you have. And and Will Rogers hasn't been healthy. So you have Mike Wright, who's been playing a lot. Uh, it's a, It's been a disappointing year for this team uh, offensively. I mean, uh, just not putting up points at all. Uh, <laughs> I think it was, you know, last week against Kentucky, I, I don't remember exactly the statistics of the drive, uh, but I was just, you know, 20 plays and and 12 minutes of, of possession for a field goal from a Mississippi State offense just seems weird after, you know, what we were used to with Mike Leach. Uh, I mean, this should be a low-scoring game. I would take the under. Uh, this is a very good Mississippi State defense. They're it's more of the Mississippi state uh, that that you think of historically in the sec, where they're a very physical team, uh, not particularly uh, threatening from a, an explosive standpoint, but they're going to hang around and be a nuisance. And uh, that's kind of what I expect from the scene, but A&M should have the, the Jimmy's and Joe's to, to, to handle this, this squad. Uh, the problem is, I mean, for one thing, we don't know if Max Johnson is going to be healthy. Right. There's, uh, you know, some some rumors swirling on that end. Uh, and and two, I mean, losing a game like that at Ole Miss, it is I think this one in particular was maybe a little more crushing uh, than the Alabama, or the Tennessee loss. You, you felt like you were in all three of those games. Uh, but to go ahead on, on Ole Miss and then give up that touchdown and then to drive back down the field and have a chance to tie it up and lose. uh you know, miss a miss a game tying field goal. Uh, that that is an emotional roller coaster to try to bounce back from. Uh, it's good for AM that they're getting Mississippi State at home, and I think they should handle the Bulldogs. Uh, but there's a lot of a lot of questions going into this one that that maybe you don't necessarily uh, think of ahead of time. Mississippi State averaging seven point six six points a game over the last three. Crazily enough, uh, they won one of those. <laughs> they, yeah. they beat Arkansas seven to three in what may have been the ugliest game not involving Iowa uh, in college football this year. Um, I wanted to ask you this: You've played football. You've been on some teams that weren't great uh, before. Um, not, I don't think any that are this bad or were crumbling in this kind of way, right? Or, or facing these kind of questions, but how much does it bleed into the locker room? Do you think, and do you worry that this team comes out? I mean, flat may be the wrong word. You think they come out just lackadaisical and not really focused or, or caring too much about how this goes the last three. Uh, I don't think it's going to be lackadaisical. Honestly, what I, what I worry about more is uh, kind of a, I guess I don't really know how to put this a depressed uh outlook yeah like, like some zombie 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 state type stuff well or like uh you know you get out and all of a sudden you're down early and you're like oh boy here we go again right, right? like you worry about the the mental state of the team uh given all the rumors surrounding the program i mean us talking about coaching changes like that affects the locker room mm-hmm. uh you know you don't ever want to get your coach fired, right? Like that's not a fun feeling to have is to get your superior fired. Uh, but it's also like a, the other side of it is that you can come out with a chip on your shoulder. Uh, and, and that can be beneficial. I just, I really worry that if Mississippi state gets a turnover or something early on that, that this A&M team is going to kind of get into that snowball effect, right? Where, I think it was. Uh, is it one of your coworkers that has the thing about momentum where it doesn't exist? Yeah, Greg Tepper doesn't believe in yeah, momentum. Tepper. So I, I wholeheartedly disagree with Tepper. Yeah, uh, most most people who've played sports do. <laughs> there's been times out on that field where you know things are going good, and then all of a sudden you know it, it seems like a freak bounce 
Like something goes the wrong way. Maybe it's an injury. Maybe, you know, somebody bats a ball down and all of a sudden it, it bounces off a foot and, and, and then a completion happens. Uh, but those types of moments can just all of a sudden uh, bring back all of the bad memories and bad feelings you've had. Uh, and I don't know all the sports psychology terms of it, but it, it can lead to a disaster in a hurry. Anybody who has played golf before understands what momentum is. Yes, because there's times you hit a good stroke, you get you hit a good shot, and that that next one, you do well, you sink a putt. All of a sudden, you get to the next tee box and you stroke one down the fairway, and it doesn't last forever because we suck at golf, right? But you can you know what momentum is, and conversely, you've definitely duck hooked one or chili peppered one into some water and gone like, well, here we go again, and then all of a sudden your next two holes are, are crap, and so. Um, you know, I don't know. I understand execution plays a part in it and momentum doesn't last forever and it's hard to quantify. Uh, but you absolutely know. I mean, look, you got girlfriends, you got dads, you got brothers, you, everybody's talking to you about what everybody else is talking around on the outside. Uh, I'd imagine if it starts well, it's easy to keep that momentum going. Uh, but if it's not good early to your point, you know, all of a sudden it, it looks like last week where Mississippi state's up 14 to nothing going in the second quarter you know, maybe last week was the last kind of hurrah, the last time that they could really mount a stand like that. Maybe you do get, you know, some people looking around and going, all right, here we go again. And when you're waiting for somebody else to step up and do something about it, then you're in trouble, you know, yeah. as as a program. And so uh, I don't know who those guys are, but this is a week where, I, to me, it's not about coaching. To me, this is about team leadership. And if some of those dudes can wrangle the rest of the group together and go like, hey, this isn't what we wanted on this season, but we have a football game to go play on Saturday and let's go play it. And we're going to find out what that locker room makeup is on Saturday. Yeah. And you look at a guy, I mean, the first guy that comes to mind that would probably be that kind of leader, uh, it's gotta be a nice Smith, right? Like, yeah. uh, he's the one that I, and I still feel like he's played excellently. Uh, he's tremendous, this year. man. He's a joy. Yeah. He's a lot of fun to watch. Does whatever the coach wants to do. I mean, he's, you know, Gone back to lining up in the backfield at times, right? We've mixed him up there, so it's it's. Uh, if there's somebody on this team that I think can galvanize it, it's going to be Anias, and then on the defensive side of the ball, uh, probably a guy like Damani Richardson, who's just been around uh, for a long time and and uh, has seen a lot. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be on these guys to, you know, if something bad happens on Saturday, to to make sure that it doesn't completely derail the the game plan. Yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts on the Max Johnson thing? If he can't go, it's probably Jalen Henderson. How much does, how much does that change uh, what you think the outcome could be? Honestly, no idea because I don't know what Jalen Henderson has. Uh, we haven't seen Fresno, Fresno State uh, transfer, for those who don't know. Yeah, uh, and I mean, he's been in the program since spring, so there's uh, uh, at least he has a little bit of, of familiarity with the playbook. But uh, yeah, I mean... I would think less points, but I'm already picturing a uh, not great offensive performance anyway. Uh, I, I have a feeling it's going to be a low-scoring game, so really it's just about you know taking care of the ball a little bit. Uh, I, I think it makes this game closer than, than it would be with Max Johnson, but I, it doesn't change my outlook too much. What is the outlook? Sense. What is the outlook? What's the prediction? <laughs> I'm going to go with a A&M 21, Mississippi State 10 game. I gave AM 28. I got 28 to 10. I think they get close to, to covering that line. I, I don't think they allow a lot of points. Uh, maybe a special teams or, or a defensive touchdown, something like that, uh, gets them close to covering this one. But as we just talked about, if Max Johnson's not playing, it, give me 14 to 10 or something like yeah. that. This thing's going to get down and dirty uh, if that happens, unless the running game can get going. But Mississippi, Mississippi State's a pretty physical team. Yeah. Uh, if they do anything well, uh, it's kind of get in the box and, and, and hit you in the mouth. So, uh, you know, this for, the first quarter is going to be important. First quarter is always important, but it feels like just mental psych, psyche wise, the first quarter and getting a good start is going to be important for the Aggies. I'm going to be interested to see what the crowd is. I'd, I'd imagine it's great, uh, but, you know, we'll see kind of what that crowd is. 630 at Kyle Field. Yeah, I think I think this being a night game really helps a and quite a bit. Sure. Uh, yeah, it's just a fun think, and the weather's going to be good. Yeah, I think late season uh, 11 a.m. kick uh thankfully the weather's not bad i mean dude we saw how bad it can get last year uh against umass right they're uh, running laps or whatever 
Yeah, with rain and, and whatnot. And and I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case against Abilene Christian, but against Mississippi State, night game late in the season. Uh still still some left to play for. Uh I would expect the crowd to still be uh showing up on Saturday. Let's move to fourth down in the Ask Jay segment of this show. Reminder, uh, send us questions, hashtag Ask Jay, uh, throughout the week, and we will do our best to answer them. They don't always have to be about football. Uh, they can be about really anything you want. Uh, we had a, a couple of good ones this week. I, I went through some of them. I, I'm not going to ask every question that each person put, but we're going to try to ask at least one uh, just so we get through everybody. Uh, Syntex Ag asked on Ask Jay, what is your favorite two-hour stretch? of road it's a tremendous question yeah it's a fantastic question uh i don't know if it's exactly two hours i think it's more like an hour and a half uh but the stretch of road from uh springer new mexico into uh the enchanted circle in red river new mexico uh, when you kind of gradually go through the plains you go through cimarron uh, you start really climbing up into the mountains uh that's a lot of good memories for me personally. Uh, it's hard to narrow it down to just like one, two hour stretch, right? Like there's a lot uh, of road in this country. Uh, honestly, the descending down, uh, I think it's 90 up there in, in Washington, descending down the mountain uh, west into Seattle is gorgeous. I mean, you go from like, the barren plains of eastern washington you climb and then all of a sudden you're going down and everything's green and it's wild to kind of see that transition so those would be the two answers that i have there yeah up the coast uh, on one um from like san francisco up to like portland is pretty incredible Uh, and then like knoxville up through virginia you know to like blacksburg that that kind of area shenandoah that kind of area is really pretty through a lot of those like old school civil war battlefields and stuff like that. Those are, those are two that really jump out to me. Uh, also like Albuquerque to like Pagosa Springs, um, you know, up that through New Mexico and then Southern Colorado also incredible. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I agree with that. I'm going to throw in skyline drive through Shenandoah national park too. Yeah. Uh, just, just while we're at it for, for one stretch of road, uh, that is, incredible with the views over the valley uh or the hills uh yeah i mean this is why i like driving instead of flying right yeah you see a lot of parts of the country that you wouldn't necessarily see otherwise yep northeast has a couple good ones too like boston to portland maine uh really pretty you keep going like portland maine to uh bisbane or to whatever the acadia national park up there uh also really awesome so yeah a lot of really great drives but i think one of the things we share most is our enjoyment of driving if i wasn't doing this job i really think i would have been a trucker uh i think i would at least done it for a couple of years i thought about it getting out of college like you now some people do like two years in europe or something where they go backpacking and they figure out their life when i graduated from utsa i thought very hard about becoming a trucker for a couple of years just to see the country i like to drive around uh, and then I got in some legal trouble, and I, <laughs> that that kind of went out the window. And a lot the, of the CDL requirements are a little bit uh, a little bit stingent. Or yeah, stingy, I guess. I'm from the country, though. I mean, we have like 18 wheeler certification classes in Liberty Hill. Like, I know the dude. You know, we could have figured that part out. Uh, <laughs> but it, it was Williamson County that got me. <laughs> they weren't going to allow me to go uh, cross country like that. So, but that would have been cool. I I do enjoy a good road trip. Um, from Alicia S58, I think that's how that's supposed to be. Uh, I'm curious about nutrition education for student athletes at a D1 school. Do you feel like info was targeted towards getting you sport ready, or do you feel like you got well-rounded info on nutrition in general? I think it's definitely more targeted towards the sport ready side of things, uh, but you can apply a lot of that sport ready stuff to other aspects of your life. Like if you get the basics of how to, let's say, you know, get energy ahead of your day. Like that's still going to serve you well later on in life, uh, gaining weight, losing weight, things of that nature. Obviously like when you're in a division one football program, you have dedicated nutritionists on staff. And I mean, everything from hydration to weight to, uh, sugar levels is checked like pretty constantly. Uh, I mean, they would weigh us before and after, uh, practice to make sure that we're not losing too much fluid. Uh, 
you know, there's certain food stations that people who are uh, a little overweight are not allowed to visit. Mm-hmm. And there are certain food stations that people who are a little bit underweight are encouraged to visit, uh, depending on what your weight was in a given year uh, over the course of the season. And that's changed. Uh, I mean, it, I, I probably learned most of my nutritional uh, knowledge from uh, the nutritionist at AM at the time, uh, Jonathan. I can't remember his last name, but Jonathan was a great resource there. And uh, I mean, they taught us how to cook as well, uh, which was kind of beneficial. I mean, we ended up going to, you know, the uh, dining facility most of the time anyway, because you're so busy in season that you don't really have much time to cook at home. But you know, some basic meals just in case you uh, weren't dining that day uh, that you could heat up quickly at home were taught to us. So it was honestly like a, a pretty good education. Again, it was it was sport focused, but I think there was a lot of things that applied after sport. Not that I listened to all of them, obviously, like if you follow <laughs> my barbecue content, I wasn't taught that uh, from, from the nutritionist. <laughs> but but I do feel like we got a, a pretty good uh, space of knowledge. Uh some of us probably could listen a little bit better, but I think that's always the case with college kids. Yeah, you're not at quite at the age yet where it's really hitting you what your what your choices are once you start approaching 40. Once you start getting towards that time where the doctor and you are going to get real close and personal, you start to think about you know, things like cholesterol and, you know, like they like shit I never even thought about, right? You know, like I never even thought about the word cholesterol. Uh, then all of a sudden, like it's now a part of my daily daily life there um so yeah, it's wild how that works out and that <laughs> yeah i mean i used to do insane things to my body and now i'm like should i eat this kolache you know like it's it's just wild how quickly uh how quickly that stuff can change uh from T- etx gov a uh, really good follow on twitter enjoy enjoy him i think he's a stephen f austin guy right he, yep. out in east texas and that's uh, where his... i'm headed this weekend <laughs> hey there you go what are your top five fast food menu items this is so tough. Uh, <laughs> I love how this I, one, this one like really stumped you, you know, and I just enjoy the uh, dedication to the question here. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to go with the, I really like the chicken quesadilla from Taco Bell. Mm. Uh, I know it's not real chicken and I know whatever that sauce is can't be good for you, but I, I kind of love that. Uh, and it's, it's always been a, a go-to for me. Honestly, a McDonald's hash brown is is up there for me. Uh, big fan of the McDonald's hash brown. Uh, Popeye's chicken sandwich. I mean, I know it was kind of like a trend there for a while, but I do think it's one of the better fast food items that you could get. Uh, man, I'm at three. I still have to keep going. Uh, what, a Whataburger honey butter chicken biscuit. Yeah is one of my favorite go-to breakfast items. Uh, and I like to sub the regular biscuit for the jalapeno cheddar. Uh, just to get a little bit of sweet and a little bit spicy there uh, on that one. Uh, and then I'm going to, I'm going to go a little bit off the wall here. I'm going to go with a sauce and I'm going to say Chick-fil-A sauce mm-hmm. is uh is a fifth item there. Uh, I, I love Chick-fil-A sauce. I, I would, I would probably drink it uh, honestly, if I had to, so, uh, you know, I think that's a pretty good list. Uh, Taco Bell chicken quesadilla, a McDonald's hash brown, a Whataburger honey butter chicken biscuit, uh, Chick-fil-A sauce. And uh, the fourth thing that I said that I can't remember anymore. Yeah, Popeye's chicken sandwich. Popeye's chicken sandwich. There we go. Um, that's a pretty good list. That's a pretty good list. All right. So my number one, and this isn't fancy or say, like people are probably making fun of. I I am obsessed, obsessed with McDonald's chicken nuggets. Like I, I, I'm on the road a lot. I'm in my truck a lot at weird times. I go to McDonald's almost. I think the people who take my expense checks at Dave Campbell's and at the Statesman previously probably think I have a problem because every single one has a stop at McDonald's. And here's why the chicken nuggets aren't that greasy. It's a safer thing to eat in the car, right? Like I have some stomach, I have Crohn's disease. I can be, I'm lactose intolerant. If I eat a cheeseburger in the car on a three hour drive back to Austin, who knows what's going to happen at 1230 at night? Like chicken nuggets are a pretty safe bet uh, for your stomach there. And McDonald's has the best and most consistent soda. And a lot of times when I'm stopping at a fast food place, I, I really, mostly I just need the Dr. Pepper. 
Um, and so like the food is secondary and there's nothing worse than going to a fast food place, getting your meal, getting your soda, taking a sip of it. And then it just be like disgusting to where now you need to stop somewhere else to get a drink, to eat your, eat your calories. So I go, I get McDonald's chicken nuggets with barbecue sauce probably once a week. Uh, yeah. So that that's my number one. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you can't go wrong with McDonald's chicken nuggets. And and like you said, with a soda fountain too, uh, they're the best. I, I, I do think that their, their soda is the best. Uh, sometimes we'll get uh, like a Dr. Pepper from McDonald's and not get anything else, to be honest. Yeah, I do it all the time. <laughs> sometimes they're nice and they're just like, you just want a Dr. Pepper. I'm like, yeah, they're just like, hand me a Dr. Pepper. You know, as I go through the drive through, they're like, what yeah. are you doing? Just, um, but yeah, I just, sometimes I just need, because like, a lot of times these places are different based on the small towns, right? And like we're driving from different games and I'm coming back from wherever. It's like, it's Hillsboro. I don't know how good that taco cabana is going to be or whatever, but I bet the McDonald's has pretty good soda uh, and it's hard to mess up chicken nuggets. So that's my number one. I also have Whataburger chicken biscuit. I do the jalapeno uh, as well there. That's a good one. Um, I have Jack in the box spicy chicken sandwich. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had the Jack in the box spicy chicken sandwich. Uh, but I think it's a really good one. Wendy's has a spicy chicken sandwich that's really good as well. Uh, Chick-fil-A, spicy chicken sandwich, really good. I'm, I'm kind of a spicy chicken sandwich guy, as you can tell. Uh, and then also, I have the double-decker taco supreme at Taco Bell as one of mine. I love the double-decker taco with the the soft shell with the refried beans and then the hard shell. Uh, you get crunchy, you get soft, everything you want there, loaded up with fire sauce. Uh, that's that's a major one for me too. And then I went off the board for number five, like you did with the sauce, Sonic Cherry Limeade. Ooh, there you go. Sonic drinks also. Uh, we talk about McDonald's Bangers. fountain drinks, but yeah. Sonic fountain drinks pretty pretty great too because you can toss in all the flavors. I think Sonic's drinks are better than McDonald's, but McDonald's is McDonald's food is more better than Sonic's food than Sonic's drinks are to McDonald's, and therefore I end up at McDonald's. And also at the wrong Sonic, you can be there for forty five minutes. Yeah. I don't know what happens at Sonic, what the hell that they're doing. I know for a fact they're not cooking stuff from scratch. It's all being heated up uh, in a microwave. Why? Why am I there for forty minutes? This is an amazing <laughs> thing. Absolutely. At least their ice cream machine is usually functioning at, at Sonic, which you can't say for McDonald's. That's but... true. Back to the lactose intolerant point. Yeah. It's just not a thing <laughs> I've ever even thought about. That would murder me. I do eat ice cream on occasion, but only in very safe zones. You know, like I, you know, Hannah's out of town for the weekend and I have yeah. the house to myself and it's like, you know what? I'll play Russian roulette. You know, I'll live dangerously. I used to put way worse things in my body. Yeah. Ice cream. It's Let's like taking it. psychedelics. You don't want to be in an environment that's right. Uh, gonna make right. You... All right, we'll move Freak on. From, we'll move on from that topic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> gonna get me. We've been on this for a while. Everybody who listens knows at the end I can get a little loose with what I'm saying. Let's uh, let's move on there. Uh, from Robert uh, Huggin, maybe I don't want to m- mispronounce H U G H E N. Uh, so Huggin, Huggin, like Huggin, Robert Huggin, Huggin. Given that it's coming up, what is the perfect Thanksgiving plate? And what is the most underrated Thanksgiving food? Well, so I'm going to start off and say that uh, I know people are generally on one side of the fence on the other on cranberry sauce. Mm-hmm. I am not a cranberry sauce guy. Same. Uh, Power to the I people. Think, I think the perfect Thanksgiving plate uh, has a turkey that is, you know, I, I like smoked turkey uh, or fried turkey. Uh, get out of there with that baked shit. I don't want to bake turkey. It's going to be dry as hell. Uh, I also like, like we have ham at, at my house for yeah, Thanksgiving and I, I like having turkey and ham. Uh, I want dinner rolls. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I'm going to make a sandwich out of uh, everything that's on the, tr- on the tray or on the plate anyway. So I want dinner rolls. I think they serve the best. Uh, I'll even settle for like a Hawaiian roll if, if I have to, like, I'm not mad at that. Uh, but dinner rolls, uh, I like a, you know, mashed potatoes. I think are good, uh, but I don't think they're necessarily because it's like the food item that you get all year anyway. Like you can get mashed potatoes any time of year, uh, mac and cheese the same way. I like both of those, but I don't necessarily consider them like Thanksgiving exclusive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still want them on my plate but they may not be as necessary as like a green bean casserole, which I don't get as often. I like that. I like putting a little bit of that on the, on the, uh, the all, all plate sandwich. Uh, and then a little bit of a uh, dressing and it's, it's dressing. If it's outside of the Turkey baked on its own, 
uh, it's stuffing if it's inside the turkey. That's the way I've yes. always thought thank about you. it. Thank you. Thank you, Jay. <laughs> we use this stuff interchangeably, and it's asinine. If it's not stuffed inside the turkey, how could it be stuffing? English words and definitions still matter. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. And then a little bit of gravy. You got to have like a, like uh in my house, we make like a little, uh, like a little red eye gravy. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's great. It brings the whole tray together. Uh, <laughs> here's a weird one for you. Uh, butter for the, for the dinner rolls has to be there as well. Wow. Gotta, okay. ha- gotta have some butter with all those other things going on. Yep. You still need the butter on the roll. I mean, dude, it's, I get it, but I mean, it's Thanksgiving. You might as well go all out. <laughs> <laughs> now, are you a load a plate up as high as it can go and then try to, you know, do it that way? Or are you a, you know, I'll come back and I'll get some more later. Like, I'm not trying to impress anybody with the pile of food I have here. My problem is that I load it up and then also come back later. <laughs> uh, <Yeah>. But I, <laughs> I, I generally take the, uh, I take the roll and I just like grab a big scoop of everything uh, yeah. with the roll opened up and then just yeah straight in straight down the bullet absolute savage absolute (laughs) savage uh my dad is one of those that like it just looks i mean every single bite is like seven things on one (laughs) fork and i i just i grew up like in a nighthawk luby situation right where like i like to eat my sides and i like to i like to eat them separately i like them all but i like to eat them separately uh my my here here is my plate before we get into dessert conversation um i'm a turkey turkey and dressing guy um, again, we don't do stuffing. We're from Texas. It's kind of a cornbread dressing as you normally what we do. We have the, the turkey gillet gravy, right? And I, I smother the turkey and the, uh, the, the dressing with as much gravy as I possibly can. Uh, despite, uh, what I just said in the last question with my lactose intolerance, I risk it on Thanksgiving. I take about four pills uh, and eat some mac and cheese, some sweet potato casserole, which I think is if I didn't know I was going to marry Hannah uh, last Thanksgiving, as soon as I ate her sweet potato casserole, I knew I was going to. My grandmother has Alzheimer's, bless her heart. She sat there across from Hannah and complimented her about 22 times on the sweet potato casserole. It was it was absolutely hilarious. Uh, and then uh, green bean casserole, obviously. And then like you, I'm a, I'm a roll guy. Give me give me a couple of rolls, but I don't need the butter. I dip it in the gravy. I'm I'm, yeah. I'm really big into the gravy. So that's kind of my, that's, that's my, uh, I'm also not a cranberry guy either. Yeah. Uh, I know it's a flaw that I do gravy and butter, uh, like an absolute psycho, but that's, <laughs> well, that's okay. Yeah. You're living, you're living your life, man. And then, <laughs> and then, uh, you got an underrated Thanksgiving food, like one that, uh, a lot of people maybe like, I guess cranberry would be the answer if we liked cranberry. Cause it's I so think the con- green bean casserole controversial. Is. Yeah. Green bean casserole, I feel like is a very important one. Occasionally we'll do like a broccoli rice and cheese casserole too. And I think that's pretty good as like a, uh, a stand in on occasion. My answer would uh, be gravy. That's fair. You know, we never think about the gravy. We kind of take the gravy for granted, but the Turkey, there's a reason you never go to a restaurant order Turkey. Turkey really all, isn't all that great. You need the gravy yeah. uh, to make that stuff work. And then our dressing at my house is very dry. Like on purpose, it's like a cornbread dressing. So the gravy uh, really helps it with that. What are you getting on dessert? What's your uh, what's your dessert play? I, I'm a pecan pie guy for sure. Uh, you know, I, I don't hate pumpkin pie either with like a little bit of a uh, whipped cream on top. But I think pecan pie is maybe even like a chocolate pecan pie. Okay. Really, really going for it. My mom makes a chocolate bourbon pecan pie. Uh, need to try it sometime. It's really good. Uh, I I do the pumpkin pie on Thanksgiving. I, I don't really eat pumpkin pie any other time of the year. Uh, but pumpkin pie with uh, Cool Whip. I like the Cool Whip to be in the freezer, make it almost like an ice cream consistency uh, with that Cool Whip. Maybe that, again, that's because I'm lactose intolerant. And it can get, give me that feel uh, for ice cream without having as much dairy um, as, as real ice cream. But that that's kind of what I do um, for Thanksgiving. Uh, I'm pretty excited about it. I, in my opinion, Thanksgiving is the best holiday. I, I try to divorce the history of the holidays from each other. Uh, but to me... Thanksgiving is just Christmas without me having to worry about gifts and like praying. And so like, it just always feels like the more low key version of it. And I also by Christmas, I've already seen all my family like three weeks earlier and I don't need to see them already again. So Thanksgiving kind of feels like, like my favorite holiday, I think. Yeah. I I think we skip over Thanksgiving too much. I think Thanksgiving Thanksgiving deserves a little bit more uh, appreciation, especially for the food part of it. 
Yeah. It's a yeah, lineman's it's, holiday. It's just a controversial holiday. People, you know, when you say Thanksgiving is your favorite holiday nowadays, people can kind of, you know, <laughs> and I, you know, I, I'm not trying to get into a political conversation. I, no, it's I, not like you said Columbus Day. I can't. <laughs> yeah, I get it or whatever. It's just, you know, I just enjoy it. I, I enjoy the, uh, I don't, I'm not a big gift giver, you know, yeah. uh, you know, I'm not somebody who is ever like, I'm, my family's not overly religious, you know, so Thanksgiving kind of feels to be like the sweet spot where we don't have to pretend to be doing something that we 364 days out of the year don't. Yeah. Yeah. Thanksgiving. And the other part of it too is football, uh, football, right. and Thanksgiving, time Weather. Together, which both of us being football guys. Yeah. Uh, I think it's just kind of a natural again, like as a lineman, how do you not love feasting? Uh, yeah. And watching football on uh, on a Thursday. My only Thanksgiving plea is to bring back Texas, Texas A&M on that day. It was the best part. It's probably why I enjoy Thanksgiving so much. You get, you know, early lunch with your family at like 11, 12 o'clock and then hightail it to either College Station or DKR uh, to watch that game. Please, Lord, please give us that back uh, to give me an excuse to get out of Thanksgiving. Because it just gives you it gives you the exit reason. Right. You don't have yeah. to be that guy. He's like, are you leaving already? You've only been here for like an hour. He's like, yeah, I got to go to work, you know? So yeah. I need that. I need that excuse. Um, so, all right, Jay, uh, I think that'll do it, right? Unless you got, unless you got anything else. Uh, I think that, uh, I think that'll do it until after Mississippi state. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't expect too much of a deep dive into Abilene Christians offense and defense next week. Uh, just as a heads up, uh, we can, if we want to, but I, I wasn't thinking that we would. Uh, but as far as Mississippi State, yeah, it should be an interesting one. Just kind of see how AM responds. Uh, you know, I, I we're getting to the end of the season, so thanks for uh, thanks for being with us all this time. Uh, everyone that listens and lets us know how we're doing and, and gives us feedback, uh, we appreciate it more than you know. Yeah, yeah, it's been great, it's been fun. It's something I'm thankful for. Uh, the Republic of Football Podcast Network was uh, an idea in my brain, uh, last February or so. And the fact that it kind of took off and has become what it is, and we've had this kind of success in year one uh, has been awesome. So I appreciate everybody out there who's who's listening, uh, who tells us that they're listening or just kind of listens and, and goes about their life, right? We appreciate it all. Uh, please rate, subscribe, tell a friend, share it, all that kind of stuff to help us keep growing. We've had a really good time doing it. And we will be back next week to break down Mississippi State, do a small preview on Abilene Christian and talk about anything else that y'all want us to talk about and more. Uh, please go hashtag ask Jay, get him some of those questions and you can kind of dictate uh, what we talk about through that show for Mike Craven, for Jay Arnold, for Dave Campbell's Texas football and the Republic of football. Talk to you next week.